can be seated. Good news is, in terms of the Bible, it's full of these promises of God. And it says in the New Testament that all of his promises we have access to, they are yes and amen for us in Christ. That it's not a result of our own uh, eligibility on the basis of our own right goodness, but in Jesus, we can experience the promises of God as a result of what he has done for us. So, uh, so we've been going through a uh, series uh, lately, it became a series, I didn't know it was going to be one, uh, about uh, the acts of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we've kind of started off post-resurrection when Jesus raised from the dead and talked about this promise of the Father that he would pour out, that Jesus would pour out the Spirit upon his people and empower them to be witnesses, right? That he didn't just like empower them so that they could be powerful for their own sake, but he empowered them that they would be able to spread this message of good news to the world, that they'd be able to invite people into relationship with God. And and sometimes when uh, we hear about the Holy Spirit, we kind of can get a little bit weirded out because some people get a little like excited about the Holy Spirit. It's like sometimes a little bit awkward at times, Uh, but we don't have to worry about that because the Holy Spirit, he is the same type as Jesus, right? He's a comforter and a helper just like Jesus. He comes in the same attitude and behavior and personality as Jesus and the Holy Spirit. uh, We've actually, we're familiar with his work. I don't know if you realize this, but in Genesis, chapter 1, it says that the Spirit was hovering over the surface of the deep, and He was the one that was bringing order out of chaos uh, that we can credit to Him, and right, obviously the rest of the Trinity, uh, the creation that you and I are enjoying. And the Holy Spirit continues to create uh, to this day, that the Holy Spirit is the one that brought Jesus' body back to life after He had died, and the Holy Spirit is the one that brings you and I to new life on the inside. We are born spiritually again uh, as a result of trusting in Jesus. And so, so last week, uh, we talked about how the Holy Spirit anoints us uh, to be able to go out and proclaim good news uh, to the poor and to all people and to call uh, out the captives and oppressed in, into experiencing liberty, that the, the same types of things the Holy Spirit did in Jesus' ministry, he likewise empowers the church to do those things. And we'd read this uh, short story in Acts chapter 3 in which we saw uh, Peter and John, they were just kind of like minding their own business. They were going to pray at the temple and then the Holy Spirit leads them to pray for this guy who was unable to walk for 40 years. And they, they end up seeing God heal this guy in the name of Jesus. And then Peter uh, seizes the opportunity led by the Spirit and preaches a sermon and lots of people believe. But today, uh, instead of focusing on this anointing of the Holy Spirit, we're going to see that not everyone is excited about Jesus, that not everyone is excited about the work of God. And even though Peter and John experienced this awesome good work that God had called them to do and they just simply walked it out, uh, that some people will be annoyed as a result, all right? And, and maybe you might uh, have already known this. You might be like, Brian, I didn't need the Bible to tell me that some people are annoyed with Jesus or annoyed with Christians or don't like the gospel, the good news about Jesus. You didn't need to t- show me the Bible to know that because I've seen that. And you, you're probably right. 
But the good news is that since it's documented in the Bible, that means that it's not a new problem, right? It's something that the church has encountered since the beginning, uh, that it's not something that surprises God, that it's something that we can expect that some people might not be excited about this good news. So let's, let's read in Acts chapter 3. I think Bull is ready to pass out Bibles if you want. You can raise your hand. He'll get you one. You can keep one if you'd like it. Uh, but we're, sorry, I said Acts 3. I meant Acts 4. Bam, I just juked you there. Look out. Uh, but I've got it up on the screen. It says this, and as they were speaking to the people, who's this? Peter and John, right after they healed this guy, it says the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in, the, in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so they just had like a really cool moment, right? Like they just were like going to pray and then have this opportunity and heal this guy in the name of Jesus and then share this good news that even cooler than the healing is that they then proclaim this good news in which thousands experience salvation, right? Like better than just being healed for the remainder of your life, experiencing salvation and forgiveness and relationship with God for all of eternity uh, proportionally is just like a way better thing. But not everyone's excited about that. These people were uh, greatly annoyed is what the Bible tells us. Uh, they weren't excited about it and that, that they won't be the first ones to respond negatively like this. In fact, uh, a few chapters later when Stephen ends up preaching, people are so upset at what he's saying that like, like almost like children, they, they're just like blocking their ears and yelling and like don't want to hear what he has to say and end up like throwing rocks at him until he dies. Okay, so like not the greatest response. Like, that's not, not the response I'm hoping to get from my sermon today. But if need be, that's okay. All right, here we go. But, uh, but these people end up being really annoyed at what, right, Peter shares about the message they proclaim, right? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they're not annoyed about a guy being healed. I think everyone would be on board with that. Like, yeah, we're okay if God's healing people. We just don't like God requiring us to repent, Right, like that's, that's kind of where they draw the line and they become annoyed. They, they don't want Jesus to be the message that is proclaimed. And because uh, Jesus brings about a level of inconvenience uh, for many, right? That, that being confronted with this message, is, it can be inconvenient. It's, it's easier uh, to believe, right? Okay, like, you know, people might be like, okay, God is love. All right, I'm there with you on that. But the idea that uh, Jesus is the only way to heaven, that, that makes us uncomfortable, right? That makes people uncomfortable. That makes believers uncomfortable at times because we are grieved by the fact that some people might not want that salvation that Jesus offers, right? Like that some people will, will turn away from this great gift that God gives. So like it's not something that like we're, we're happy about by any means, but the fact that Jesus is uh, offering salvation, uh, sometimes people find that annoying and are offended by it. Uh, and right, it, we'd rather not, as people, want to admit that we're sinners in need of salvation, right? I'd rather like have a religion where like I just get to celebrate who I am and just keep doing the Brian thing and 
You know, I'd rather be a Brianist than a Christian, you know? Like, I'd rather just like, why can't I be the one to define what's right and wrong? Why can't I be the one to just follow my own will for my life? And and the problem is that, right, God loves us, but he loves us way too much to allow this perpetual harm that we can bring upon ourselves by choosing our own way, right? That ever since, right, God created this wonderful, perfect world and then like placed humanity in the middle of it, it was this tremendous good thing. And as a result of our own rebellion against God, we brought chaos into the good world, right? That we, we don't make our lives better by pursuing our own things, we actually end up making it worse. And so one of the, one of the reasons that uh, Jesus is offensive is, uh, I'm gonna skip to John chapter three, And you've probably heard this passage before. And this is good news, okay? This is great news. But this passage also gets really offensive really quick. But I want to just point out that whether or not something is offensive doesn't change whether or not it's good news. It doesn't change whether or not it's true, okay? So, like, that's that's one of the things to be aware of here. Uh, Actually, before I read this, I'm already going to get off track. Uh, right, I'm a, I'm a pastor and I'm also a, a math teacher and I started at a new school this year. And, uh, and like my faculty, they know that I'm a pastor. And so I've got this guy who asked me one day, he's like, so, so do you think that like one religion is better than another? And uh, I'm like, yeah. And he's like, that, that is so offensive. Like, how could you say that? Like, well, I'm like, as a mathematician, as a teacher, do you think like all students' ideas about math are good or accurate? No, like someone might say an answer that is just completely wrong and it's great that they like gave an answer and participated, but like not all of them are equally valid, right? Like you can have a room full of students and only one of them gets the right answer sometimes and it doesn't mean like all of those are equally true. Like, and so religions, right? Uh, I realize maybe he thinks it's offensive that I think the, the Jesus I follow is true, but nonetheless, like, religions are mutually exclusive. They can't all be true. And I think that it's better to follow something that's true than something that I would just wish that was true, right? So, so like, that's, you know, one of the things that's, like, slightly offensive. Like, no, everyone's allowed to believe their own thing, but you can't say anyone's wrong, right? Like, it's kind of like this offensive thing. And that's, that's okay, but that's what Jesus, Jesus does here. And, and here's John 3.16, right? So, so listen for the good news. Let's look what God, at what God does. For God so loved the world. I think, I think people would be on board with that, right? God loving us. All right, I like that, right? That he gave. All right, God is doing the giving. He's not even asking me to give yet. I love this. All right, God loves me and God is giving stuff to me. This is, this is right up my alley. This is the sort of religion I want to follow, right? God gave his only son, right? Something, someone who was extremely precious and valuable to him where he was able to give his own life for us to just be with us. It's like, yeah, I think, I think I am pretty valuable. I'm, I think God made a good choice in being willing to die just to be with me. I, I like to think I'm that important, right? Like that's kind of how I'd respond to this. And then it says this, that whoever believes in him, that is the son, should not perish, right? So God doesn't want me to die. I'm, I'm on board with that, but have eternal life. This sounds great, right? God does all of these things. God loves, God gives, right? God doesn't want me to die. He wants me to live forever. Those are great things, but the thing that offends us is what? The fact that whoever believes in the Son, whoever trusts in the gift that God gave, those are the ones that experience this, 
All people experience God's love in this way, but only those who would trust and receive the gift that God gave would experience that second part. And that's the stumbling block for us, right? Because we don't want that to be the case, right? Oftentimes that's like, that's hard for us. We don't want to, to think about, right, people perishing or not experiencing this eternal life that God loves and desires for them to have. Even the Apostle Paul, right, who, who writes just so logically these long essays in Romans about just like salvation, like at one point in Romans 9, he just like breaks down. He's like, man, like if, if I could be cursed, if I could give up my salvation that my brethren the Jews could experience this salvation that Jesus offers, he's like, I would do it. Right, like so he, Paul will preach a message that draws a clear line, but it's not like he's just so hard-hearted and calloused that he's just like, yeah, well, that's their problem. No, right, as believers, this breaks our hearts. We want people to experience this love and gift that God has for them. And all right, it's gonna get more offensive. You ready? Here we go. Let's keep reading what, uh, what John three seventeen would say. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Good news. That sounds great. Jesus came to write, redeem us from condemnation. Like, there's not any condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. But in order that the world might be saved through him. That's good news, too, unless, wait, is he assuming I need to be saved? Like, that, uh, like, I don't know. Like, I kind of, that sounds a little bit offensive. Like, what do you mean, like, I needed to be saved? Like, I think I'm... I've got my life together, God. I, I don't know if I need that, right, is maybe how we might respond. But let's find out what happens, right? So that the world might be saved through him, and it's, it's going to get tougher, right? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Whew. Right? Aren't you glad I'm the one having to say this this morning and not you? <laughs> right? Like, wow. Uh, so whoever does not believe is condemned already. So when faced with this truth, it's inconvenient because it points out our need for a savior and this fact that, right, we're already guilty of sin. Right? That's uncomfortable. And it's easier to pretend that this isn't true, that I don't need salvation, right, than to encounter the truth and be like, okay, I think that's right. So Jesus being sent, he didn't bring like condemnation. We were already rebellious against God. So like his coming came to rescue us, right, from sin. It's like we were all drowning and then Jesus came to like swim out and rescue us. And it's like, what do you mean I need saving? I'm fine, Jesus, get out of here. Like, I don't need you. Like, how dare you tell me I'm drowning? I'm fine, right? Like, like we, we get offended at that idea, but, but Jesus loves us enough to rescue us, right? God loves us so much that he gave his life that, that we could be with him, that we could be saved, right? So, so our pre previous state, our prior state was that we were already guilty. It says, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment, right? This is one of the reasons why we can be offended in our first response to the gospel, right? That light has come into the world and people loved, Right? See, people are loving. Why can't this love be our religion? Right? God loves, we love. The problem is that we love things that aren't good for us. Right? It says people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. Right? So when we encounter 
<laughs> right? The Bible the first time. When we encounter this message of hope, sometimes it's like, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, we don't want that to be exposed in us. We don't want to have to repent, right? We don't want to have to admit that we need saving or that we've done wrong. It says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So, so we can kind of see why in Acts 4, right, these people get offended at this message about Jesus, right? Like it's an uncomfortable thing that they're facing. And so rather than face that, they're now going to react uh, negatively towards Peter and John. Now, I, now I don't put all of the, uh, the blame on those who have not yet trusted in Jesus and being offended. In fact, neither does the Bible. Uh, in fact, the Bible says that sometimes the ones to blame are those who are currently following Jesus. All right, that, that Paul writes, I think, in Colossians and Ephesians and Timothy, uh, he writes talking to the church family, okay, and he says that the way you live your life could actually result in people reviling the Word of God. That it's not on account of the message, it's on account of the messenger, right? Uh, that, that the way that sometimes Christians live, we could live in a, a way that's hypocritical or offensive where, right, the gospel is offensive, but if I'm stacking on like my own offensive things in front of that so that people never even get to that, right, like that, that's kind of on me. Right? That's my fault, right? That's my problem. And so Paul says that the way we live can either cause people to revile the Word of God or that we can make the Word of God appealing and attractive and gracious and just like season it in, in all of these wonderful things that as we pursue people, we present it in a way that is appealing to them. Not that we're changing its content, right? But that we're living lives that are as closely as we can in line with what we are proclaiming. Okay, that, that, and what's really interesting is the areas, the context in which Paul mentions this are in the areas of, of marriage and work. He says that if you act in your marriage in a way that's dishonoring, right, to your spouse, that that can cause others to revile the Word of God. Or that in terms of work, right, like if, if you are someone who, right, steals from work and is lazy and does all of these things that you can cause others to despise God's word, right? Because you're all like, look at me, I'm a Christian and I'm doing all this stuff. But then like to your boss or your coworkers, they're just like, I don't know, like, I don't know if I want what that guy's got, right? And we can actually turn people away from this love that God has for them as a result. And so not only should we proclaim this message of hope, right, that we're empowered with the Spirit, but we also need to enjoy the Spirit's work in our hearts as He sanctifies us, making us more and more like Jesus, right? And, and not that Christians are perfect, and, and hopefully we can admit that to the people we share this message with, right? It's like, no, it's not because I'm a good person that I'm going to heaven, right? It's because I'm a sinner and I've experienced God's forgiveness and now he's changing me and I'm just so enthralled with God's love that now it's producing love in me back for him, right? Like that, that's where we, we come from. And so, so it's something for us to be aware of. So let's see, but in this story, they're offended with the gospel, all right? Back to Acts chapter four. That was like super long you're like, you're worried. I'm only on verse three right now, right? You're worried, but it's okay. It's okay. All right. So what did they do? They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. All right. So Peter and John, 
I mean, how'd their day go, right? Like they were just going to pray. They see this guy asking for money who hasn't been able to walk for 40 years. They, they pray for that dude. They see him healed. They preach the gospel. People trust in Jesus and are saved. And then they're thrown into jail, right? Like what? Like that, that's crazy. Like that's a, that's a crazy day they had. Verse four, but it's worth it, ready? But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000, all right? That's just men only in the crowd, right? They didn't even have the ability to count the women and children at that time. They just like, too many people. Uh, all right, we'll just start with a smaller group and try to extrapolate from there. Actually, man, I'd love to talk to you about data and statistics and sample populations and extrapolation, but all right, here we go, here we go, all right. <laughs> so I just want to point out that there will be those who don't like the gospel, all right? There will be those who are offended. There will be those who will be angry. There will be those who might persecute or even shame us when we share it. Uh, there will be those that reject it initially, but eventually turn, right? And, and it's worth it sharing this message of hope. It's worth it. Right, I, I, like, because look, there's people that experience change in their lives as a result of this message, and it wasn't just them. Imagine, like, the, so there's like 5,000 there. Generationally, communities are changed as a result of this message being proclaimed. It wasn't just the crowd there that day that was changed, right? Like, generationally, they, right, families are changed, households are changed, communities are changed as a result of the gospel being preached. And there will be times in which we encounter hostility, but we don't want to let those moments override the need that the world has for the gospel. Or those moments override the fact that there will be people who experience great joy and freedom. All right, think about like the Apostle Paul, right? Like if, if, if we preached a sermon to him when he was just called by Saul, he would have uh, hunted you down, had you arrested, thrown rocks at you until you die and get you killed, right? You'd be like, all right, maybe, maybe I'm going to not preach about Jesus anymore. Like, Paul doesn't seem to respond really well to what I'm saying to him. You know, maybe I just got to lay off this Jesus thing, you know? Uh, but eventually, like, his heart is completely changed. He, he experiences salvation and joy in Jesus, and then he has such a love for people that he pursues them, right? That he goes from community to community, and it's like people that had never heard this message of Jesus, and he goes and finds them and shares it with them and plants churches, and the dude ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament, right? Like, so we don't want to stop preaching because there was someone who responded with hostility, because those who either will eventually respond or those who respond at the hearing of the word with joy and receive it and, and trust God and follow him, it is worth it for their sakes. It is so worth it. It is so worth it. And think about it. Yeah, Peter and John got arrested that day and thrown in jail, right? It's, that kind of stinks, right? It also kind of stinks when you're like, man, someone doesn't like me right? Like, that, that's not a fun experience, right? Like, the fact that, you know, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, like, right, these people were angry about what they did, right? That's not fun, but I want to point out that, that Jesus left a place of comfort to pursue us and to experience, right, pain and suffering in order to invite us into his kingdom. Like, we need to be willing to endure a little bit of discomfort, 
to bring this message to other people because God loves them and he stirs up love in us for them. Okay, like we, we need to be willing to do that, that, that in our nation, we are less likely to be thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. We're, we're less likely to, right, get killed for preaching Jesus. In some nations, that is the case, right? But more often in our nation, we'll experience, uh, right, where people will, will shame us uh, for, for believing or trusting or proclaiming Jesus, right? Like it's, it's not on the same scale. It's a different kind of persecution, but right, people might right, call us names or, or, or interpret our actions as like negative and narrow-minded or, or bigoted or all of these different things. And it's like, no, 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 that's not what I wanted. Like, I just want to love you and like share with you this great news, right? And, and, and we can experience this shame sometimes based on people's responses, but we don't want to let those negative experiences or moments then drive our mission right? Because there still is a great need in the world to hear this message, right? That we want to see people changed. And, and Jesus bore our shame so that we could have relationship with him. And so we might need to, at times, be willing to endure an, an amount of shame from other people that those who will respond or those who will eventually respond can hear this message of good news, that it is worth it. And I want to point out, this is all due to the work of the Holy Spirit, right? It wasn't that Peter and John, like, you know, said something inappropriate that day. It wasn't like that they, right, did something wrong. They were just following what the Holy Spirit led them to do. That in, in doing what the Holy Spirit leads us to do, right, sometimes it's just like so full of joy and rejoicing and just like, this is awesome, like God's working in the lives of the people that I'm interacting with, this is so great, right, but other times people will respond with hostility, but that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit didn't lead you to do that, right, that, that, that this is the work of the Holy Spirit, that they were, right, experiencing the Holy Spirit and some people got annoyed because of it, but that's okay, that's okay. Right, so, so one of the challenges here that we see is that, right, they, they preach this message that is difficult, right? They preach this message that is difficult. So let's see, where am I at? What verse am I on? Five? I'm on five? I got lost on my thing. Amelia's got me over there, though. Bam, thank you. All right, it, don't worry. It, it accelerates as I go through these verses, so don't assume it's a linear model of the rate of verses per minute that Brian's preaching through. It's going to be Okay. Uh, so let's see, it says, on the next day, all right, so they were in jail overnight, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family, okay? Uh, verse 7, and when they set them in the midst, they inquired, so now this is like an interrogation, by what power and by what name, right, did you do this? Right, they're like, so, so how'd this happen? How, you healed this guy. Like, what happened here? What's going on? A whole bunch of people are trusting Jesus today. Like, what happened here? What are you doing? Right? And like, they're upset. These were also some of the same people that had crucified Jesus just two months prior. So, I, I don't know. Maybe you'd be a little bit nervous. And knowing, knowing Peter, right? We've seen some of his uh, timidity prior. We're like, 
prior to Jesus' death, like a little middle school girl is like, wait a minute, weren't you one of the guys that hung out with Jesus? He's like, I don't know the guy. I don't know what you're talking about. Get out of here. Like, wah. Like, and he denies Jesus because he's afraid, right? But, but here we're going to see that Peter, having experienced the Holy Spirit's work in his life, is going to respond completely different than normal Peter would have. Okay? So verse 8, then Peter, what's, what's this? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Peter completely saturated with the presence and power of God working in his life. All right? So this, these next things that Peter says are not things that only Peter says. These are things that the Holy Spirit wants to convey to these people because he loves them. Right? Because the Holy Spirit is all about empowering the church to be witnesses of this good news, to invite Jesus into their lives. And so uh, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is awesome. Right? So the Holy Spirit empowers Peter, who used to be timid, and he is now bold, and he's going to say some like super offensive things to the people that just killed Jesus two months ago. Here we go. Uh, so he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, here we go, let it be known to you all. All right, like, Peter, calm down. Like, just remember, they killed Jesus. Just calm down. Like, you might want to, like, water down the Jesus stuff. Just hold off. This is what he says, right? That let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you well. All right, like... You don't want to offend, like, the people that could put you to death right away, but it's better to tell the truth than to allow someone else's offense shape, right, what you might say, okay? So, uh, so this is what he says. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. He's actually quoting from the Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would be rejected, by many of the Jews early on, right? That, that, that just like if you're building a structure and you're like, all right, ah, nah, this rock's no good, right? Uh, this one's a good one, right? And you've got your like little quality assurance test. The Bible told us that people would like look at Jesus and be like, no, that is not the Messiah that I want. I, like that is not at all what God is gonna be doing in my life. And, and they reject Jesus, but God chooses to use the the very one that they rejected, to be the, the cornerstone, to be like the foundation of the entire kingdom that God builds, right? And so, so Peter's quoting Old Testament to him. Verse 12, notice this is not Brian's opinion, all right? It's in your Bibles if you want to check it. You can open your phones and tablets. This next verse, <laughs> and there is, no salvation in, right, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given <laughs> among men by which we must be saved. Let me try that one more time. I fumbled a little bit. It's okay. You guys forgive me, right? <laughs> I'm used to a different translation sometimes. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved saved. So, so if, if they were like annoyed before, like this is going to annoy them a whole lot more, right? 
Like, it's okay, like, people will feel okay if you're like, nah, I think, I think, like, God's just happy with everybody. I think everyone goes to heaven. I think that all paths just lead to God, right? Like, they'll feel great about you having your own path and them having theirs as long as you, like, tow that line. But that's not what Jesus came to do, right? Like, and, and proclaiming something that is less than true uh, is going to be harmful towards, towards them. Like, that would be a, an unloving thing to do. And, and so this is offensive, right? Believing that Jesus is the only way. And we, when Peter said this, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is what God is about. This is the, the work that God is doing. This is the means for salvation that God has provided because he loves the world. All right? And it feels like exclusive. It feels narrow. But previously, let, I, let us be reminded that all of us, all of us were condemned because of our own wrong. There used to be no ways of salvation, and now God's provided a way of salvation. Right? One is infinitely many times greater than zero. Right? So, like, we can be excited that God's made a way for us to be saved. Like, this is awesome. This is awesome, right? And, and, and the gospel is about inviting people into relationship with God through Jesus. And it wasn't just Peter or the Holy Spirit that thought this either. Jesus thought this. He says, right, that there's no one comes to the Father except through me, he says, in John 10, right? So, so this is something that Jesus proclaims. And this is one of the reasons why when people encounter a Christian, someone who believes this, just like the audacity of it, it's like, What? Like, how could you believe that? Like, you, oh, lucky you. Yeah, the thing you believe happens to be the, the right way. That's awful convenient. That's improbable, right? But no, 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 no. Like, it's not just like our own opinions here, right? It's not like we just randomly picked a book off the shelf and thought this was the one that we should live our whole lives around. It's that God has verified and validated this, right? That, that his word is saturated with this plan of salvation, that, right, he has prophesied about it hundreds of years before Jesus came. And God is the only one who can call the end from the beginning. It's something that he says about himself. And then he does that very thing, right? Jesus was able to declare that, right, he would die and be raised, and sure enough, that happened, right? And then the Holy Spirit empowers the church to proclaim this message, and signs follow this message, like a dude getting healed. And so it's like kind of inconvenient, like, well, I don't like that, but it seems like all of the evidence is pointing towards that, but I still don't like it, is kind of like the response, and you'll see that's what they do as well. And so this places people at this uncomfortable impasse of like, can't we just pretend that everything's equally true? But no, no. And as Christians, we cannot water down the gospel, right? Like, we, we would water down the antidote so much that it will have no ability to cure those who are sick, right? Like we can't change the good news, right? We don't want to change the good news because it's true and it's the thing that produces life in people, right? And so encountering a Christian that believes this is uncomfortable because, right, we'd rather just believe all things are true. Like why do you have to be so like exclusivist and just like narrow-pathed and narrow-minded, right? They squirm at this. And and one of the reasons it's also uncomfortable for them is that they'd rather believe that all religions are equally true. But now you've presented to them a religion that they don't like and they don't want to be true because if it's true, then the rest can't be. 
And so you, it like kind of exposes this, this hypocrisy within them that they've like been holding on to two contradictory thoughts at the same time, right? And so it's just like, it's inconvenient just the fact that a Christian even exists sometimes, right? It's like, it was easier when just like, I didn't know that there were people that were so exclusive in their mindset. But also what's crazy is it's not just Christianity that has these mutual exclusivities. All religions have mutual exclusivities. Any proclamation of a statement as being true immediately makes the negation of that statement not possible. And those who would choose to deny that for, to remain in a state of comfort are denying some of just the basic laws of logic, right? Like that, that, that all of these can't be true. They all make claims that then limit the negation of those claims being true. And even just take it out of the realm of religion, right? Mathematics or anything, once you say, right, one plus one is two, it excludes the possibility of other things being that, or one plus one equaling something else, right? It, it, a statement of truth results in exclusivities. It's the way it is. It's uncomfortable, right? And what matters is do what we believe, right? Is what we believe actually true? Or is it just what we want to be true, right? So let's see, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, Right, like this dude's just like insulting them at their own like little interrogation uh, pretty significantly. And they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. These guys were fishermen three years ago. Right, like these guys were not the ones who'd been studying the Old Testament and memorizing it. Right, like these guys, what do they know? What do they know? Right? And they recognized that they had been with Jesus, right? That they had been with Jesus. And so what's interesting here is that when we share with other people, hopefully we're not doing it out of like this awkward obligation of just like, yeah, so I kind of do like this church thing and I haven't really done too much with it, but apparently I'm supposed to tell you about it. So what do you think? Right, like the, the idea is that like when we tell people it should come out of this place of our having been with Jesus, right, where we are just like so thrilled about who he is and how he loves, right, and what he's done in our lives that it's just like hard to like not talk about him, right, like that's where it's supposed to come from. All right, so let's see. They saw that they had been with Jesus. Verse 14, but seeing the man was healed, who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So check this out. Notice uh, the next slide. They said, right, they had nothing to say in opposition, that what Peter and John had done was evident to all, and they had no means of denying it. So they're probably going to become Christians, right? No. No. Because it wasn't a matter of the evidence that was going to ever persuade them. And some of these folks do end up becoming believers later on in Acts. All right? But at this point, it's not that they wanted to be uh, seekers of the truth. Okay? They weren't looking for what was true. 
They wanted what they currently believed to be true. Right? That, that, that they're, even though they have all of this thing, it's like, well, we can't deny that. I don't have any logical argument against that. Do you? Like, no. Uh, and notice what they do next. Verse 17, but, right? So we have no evidence, but in order that it may not spread uh, further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So we have no evidence, but we just don't like it. So please stop. Right? <laughs> like that's, that's their whole, their whole claim. Uh, verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them. Peter, come on, man. <sighs> Be careful. Like they're, they're almost letting you off the hook here. Like, right? But Peter's still filled with the Holy Spirit. He says this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They're like, so, so you think we should obey you rather than obey God? Like, I don't know. You guys are religious leaders here. We're just uneducated fishermen. I don't know. You, you, you judge that out for yourself. We're going to obey God, right? We're going to obey God. And in fact, like, we can't help it. We can't help but speak of the things that we've seen and heard. Like I said, like that as we share our faith with other people, we should share it out of confidence that what Jesus did is the answer that all of humanity needs. We should share it out of just joy in the work that he has done in our hearts, right? That we should just share it out of the overflow of like our enjoyment of spending time with God and in his presence and in his word. Right? And, and that's attractive. Right? Like that's something that <laughs> will appeal to people. But if it's just like this thing that we ourselves haven't spent a lot of time with the Lord, like it's not going to be very persuading. Right? Like let me tell you about this life-changing thing that has me like go to church twice a year. Right? Like it's like, well, it doesn't seem like it's that important to you. I don't know if I need to change my life as a result, right? Like, but, but as we like just enjoy the presence of God, like it's out of that overflow that we tell people about him. We can't help it, right? Like, and you've experienced this, whether you're talking about like some movie that you saw that you like or some, some new recipe you've got or some new like, right, parenting tactic that you're like, this is actually working with my kids. This is so great. Or like if you're just like sharing about your kids, like look how adorable they are. Like they just graduated high school. I'm so proud of them. It's just like, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they did. Right? Like, right? Like we're, like we're just like overflowing with joy in sharing about the people and the things that we love. And so as we just like fall in love with Jesus, we're going to just share out of that. Right? We're just going to share out of that joy and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so let's see, verse 21. And when they had, gone, uh, had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Right? Like they couldn't even just come up with a theory uh, of like maybe this guy was just like faking, right, not being able to walk for a week, and then Peter and John show up and pretend to heal him. It's like, no, we kind of have seen this guy for the last 40 years, right? Uh, that's a pretty long hoax. 
to have going here. And so, so as the worship team comes back up, I just want to point out that this is the type of work that the Holy Spirit is interested in doing in us, right? That we have been tasked with the mission to go into all the world and to proclaim this good news to all people, right? And that feels like that's a God-sized task. But fortunately, he doesn't just like put it on us or like we don't have to like be creative and like, how do we do this? Right? Like, because God empowers us to accomplish this God-sized task, right? That the Holy Spirit is interested in working through each of us, ordinary people, right? Fishermen, math teachers, right? Ordinary people, God is interested in working through us to bring this message to our community. And although at times we will feel discomfort, we might even feel like ashamed, this message is the message of hope that brings life to people and eternal joy and salvation to them, right? It's worth it, right? And even though we might have those moments that are awkward, those who respond or who will eventually respond are worth it, right? And I know like it's so easy for us to like hide behind like, ah, that didn't work out so well. I think I'm just not gonna talk about that for a while. Right? But no, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is interested in working through us, leading us and guiding us, and we just simply have to walk out the good works that he calls us to do, and it's worth it. God thought you and I were worth it to come into this world and die so that we could be with him, and likewise, we need to be willing to go out into this world and experiencing some amount of suffering and discomfort to bring salvation to them, and the Holy Spirit empowers you to do that. So let's just pray. Uh, real quick before we go into worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the joy that we can experience in salvation, that we are no longer condemned, that we can experience freedom from slavery to sin, that you produce in us life and joy, and you fill us with your presence. I thank you, Lord, that we get to be co-laborers with you, being about the business of your kingdom, being lights to this world, that we can walk out in good works and they, the community, will see our good works and give glory to you in heaven. I pray, God, that you would be at work in our hearts, stirring us up, uh, that we would obey you rather than man, that we would obey you rather than the feelings of shame or discomfort that we might experience, that we would enjoy walking out in obedience all of the good works that you've called us to do. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our church family, that as we pursue you, that you would just show up. I pray that you would stir in us uh, to repent for areas where we have been hypocritical. I pray that you would convict us of sin and prune away the things in our lives that are unfruitful. We desire, Holy Spirit, that you would move freely in this place, that you would lead us, that you would heal us, that you would speak through us, that you would prophesy, and that you would move freely in this place as you will, and that your church would be built up and equipped for the mission that you've given us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.